Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Runout Radio, brought to you by the Tap Leagues, Simonis Billiard Cloth, and Lucasi Hybrid Cues. I'm Jerry Forsyth, alongside Mike Hamilton. And, Mike, now that we've got the U.S. Open Nine Ball Championship behind us and the Steve Miserak Championship is done, we are full bore into the professional pool season. Yeah, we are. Um, I mean, things are... 2010's getting ready to wind down. We've only got uh, a handful of, of events, of real major events left. Um, we've got a Turning Stone. We've got a Moscone Cup. Uh, WPBA is in Niagara Falls. And anything else major coming up between now and the end of the year? No, that would be it. Of course, we're going to have a presence at um, both the Moscone Cup and at uh, Turning Stone, where we're going to be doing the live stream again and live scoring and live interactive bracket. So uh, really looking forward to Turning Stone, as, as I always do. That's a great event. And i got to say that, you know, from from the last trip that we made there, having Pat Fleming to help with the video is, is such a uh, benefit. Oh, it's huge. Uh, the quality of the video stream that he produces is just so much better than what we were doing before. That, uh, well, like you say, I'm really looking forward to any event where he joins us. Absolutely, and Turning Stone's a great venue. I mean, not to mention the amazing oatmeal cookies they've got. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's worth going just for the oatmeal cookies. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but. Let's talk about the season. The first event that really kicks it off big time, of course, every year is the U.S. Open Nine Ball Championship. And this year, we had the biggest field we've had since, I'm going to guess, 2000. Um, we had a full field, and uh, we had more fans than we've had in the past. I think that the uh, economy has picked up enough to help uh, the fan base a little bit, and really pretty darn good event you know speaking of the full field um there was a lot of talk prior to the tournament that that barry was letting the women play and he was only doing it because he was trying to fill the field which of course he was trying to fill the field that was you know to to think that that was news was ridiculous but what i found interesting is I don't believe that the number of women who played in the event made up the difference between the numbers last year and the full field this year. I think he would have been awfully close to a full field, even if he hadn't allowed the women to play. Oh, I do, too. I think, I mean, I frankly didn't speak specifically to Barry about his reasoning, but I think the reason he let the women play is because his fans have been asking for it for quite a while now. They they like to see... Uh, mixed-gender competition. It's great to watch the guys play the girls. It was just a shame that the event was so close to the Women's World 10 ball, so Jasmine and Allison and Karen Korn, Kelly Fisher, and and some of the big monster names weren't able to play. Um, Now, Gerda had a real nice showing. Um, You kind of looked at the women that were playing and, and everyone knew at the tournament that there was that thousand dollar bonus for the female who finished highest. And, you know, Gerda was kind of uh, a huge favorite going into that. Uh, I mean, it was nice to see Gerda competing against the guys. It was nice to see all the ladies competing against the guys, but I think it would have been a lot more interesting had we had 
Guy Young, Xiao Ting, Jasmine, Allison, Karen, Kelly, etc., etc. Well, sure, but that just gives us something to look forward to in the future. They may show, show up uh, in the spring at the Masters, which is coming back. Right. Uh, after 10 years, the Masters is back. Um, Efren being the only winner of that event. Uh, now, you were there 10 years ago, weren't you? Yes, indeed. It was then held at the Holiday Inn in the ballroom. And uh, like you said, Efren won it, and it being 10 years ago, that's about all I remember. Um, but it really wasn't a Barry Berman event then. It was a Brady Berman event. Right. Um, so now, Barry's going to, I'm sorry, Barry's going to let Efren have his free entry as a past champion, but this was really Barry's first shot at running this event. Okay. And, and you know, speaking of, of Barry and someone other than himself running events, uh, the U.S. Open, it seemed like Shannon, his uh, daughter, had an awful lot to do with things. It, it would appear from the outside as if she is being groomed to take over that event, which, I mean, knowing Barry wouldn't happen for years and years and years, but it's good that, that he does have a, a backup plan for when the time comes that uh, he's not able to do that. Well, Barry's in his... Uh... He's the same age I, I am, I believe. 63. Holy cow. Yeah, he's insane. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, <laughs> Shannon may be taking it over next year. Who knows? Um, but uh, certainly, you know, she's been around the, the track on this, this U.S. Open nine ball a few times. She knows what's going on. So I think when he does turn it over to her, it'll be in very capable hands. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. But, but let's talk about the event itself a little bit. Of course, it was won by Darren Appleton. Yes, it was. And what a show he put on. I mean, he played great. It looked an awful lot there towards the end, like Mika was going to pull off, uh, well, I, I won't say the word that rhymes with repeat because there are basketball coaches who own copyrights on names, but Mika almost yeah. won three in a row. He almost did. Um, I believe he was he was knocked out of the tournament by the two guys who finished first and second. So you can't take anything away from Mika's performance. But he took third, and Corey Duell wound up uh, taking second and playing in the finals against Darren. And um, well, Darren really never seemed to, to skip a beat all week. So Darren beat Corey. It was fifteen thirteen, right? Yeah. This was the first year that Barry had enacted this new rule where you had to win by two. It was a race right. to 13, but you had to win by two. Uh, any thoughts right. on this? Uh, yeah, I've had quite a few thoughts on it. Uh, you know, I, I understand Barry's take on it, that, that you shouldn't be in a double hill situation and have your opponent stand up and slap the nine ball in on the break and win the U.S. Open nine ball championship from a fluke shot. Um, and I agree with that. At the same time, <laughs> that fluke shot is one of the most exciting moments in pool for the fans. Uh, so, I mean, there's points to be taken either way. Barry has now announced that there will be a limit on it. It'll only be a the first person to get to 15 will win either way. 
by one or by two. So it can't go on forever. You know, when we were sitting there watching some of these matches that were dragging out to four hours without the uh, win by two rule, we were kind of worried that uh, the score line was going to be 71 to, <laughs> to 70 and we'd still be sitting there doing the live scoring on Tuesday. Um, so Barry's taken that into consideration and he will put a limit on it. Well, I know that Barry was trying to make the comparison to tennis and it had said that he was a big tennis fan and you have to win by two in tennis and blah, blah, blah. You know, everybody tries to make a comparison between pool and poker and I play at poker a little bit. I won't say I play poker. I'll just say I play at poker and you know, you look at it, you get all your chips in when you've got the best hand and you still end up losing the hand. Well, that doesn't seem fair either, but I've always thought, you know what, maybe you should have had enough chips before you went into that hand to uh, be able to fade something like that. So in my mind, yeah, it would be a shame if it was Hill Hill and your opponent snapped the nine and and you lost the match. But you know what, you had 12 other games that you could have won to keep your opponent from being on the hill. So I don't know, it just, I, I tend to think that Hill Hill, anything can happen that's what the fans are there to see. Uh, they're not interested in in a player getting rescued. I mean, if you and I are playing each other and you snap the nine on the break, well, then I was even on the hill before you were. So it's kind of my own fault. Yeah, and I, and I do see your point. Um, however, Barry does listen to his fans. And if they don't like it, they'll let him know, and I guarantee you he'll change it because um, – <laughs> He does take care of the people who pay the bills, and you can't blame him for that. No. Um, one thing I noticed at the Open, and I'm not the only one who noticed it, um, it, it seemed to be another one of those events, kind of like the World Nine Ball Championship that uh, took place in Manila, where some of the players quickly figured out the rack slash the break, and figured out how to make that wing ball every time. It wasn't like Sardo rack days where, you know, you could you could baby the break and, and basically shoot drills on the other seven or eight balls that were left on the table. But right. there was definitely a huge advantage to the players who had figured out how to rack the balls, which it was rack your own, how to rack the balls and how to have a an extremely good chance of making that wing ball. And I think the problem there was that what they figured out was they needed to give themselves a Sardo-type rack where everything was frozen. So as a result, we were getting five- and ten-minute racking sessions, um, which will also be eliminated next year. Um, and, yeah, that's, that's just going to be a problem with nine ball. The players have that rack figured out, and uh, – Anytime we're going to be watching pro nine ball, we're going to be watching uh, the racking skills uh, as well as anything else. Because if you can put those balls together and get them tight, you can make that wing ball. Well, it won't be an issue at the next event. The Masters will be 10 balls, so that won't be as big an issue. Um, I can kind of see where Miko was coming from after he lost to Darren and then lost to Corey. He had said that it was rack your own for six days, and then when it got into that final day, it was different, and and you couldn't really get into any kind of a rhythm. I mean, pool is a is a rhythm game, and 
I imagine it's got to be tough to to win a rack and and either sit in the chair or stand there watching somebody rack for five minutes. Uh, yeah, I think that's why Barry's going to change it because it's it's as much a shark move as anything else. To if somebody's hot, you're going to put them in the chair and let them sit there and cool off for a while uh, while you rack. Yeah, I don't know. It should be interesting. Yeah, it always is. <laughs> well, leading from the U.S. Open to the Seminole Championship, um, yeah, I think a good transition there would be Earl Strickland. Um, Earl had a nice U.S. Open off the top of my head. I can't tell you where he finished, but I think Earl performs well at the U.S. Open. I mean, he's made it clear in the past that he feels that event should be won by an American player, and Earl is uh, Earl is patriotic if he's anything. Yeah, he is. Earl took thirty third at the U.S. Open, by the way, but he did much better than that down in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, you could say so. Yeah. Um, beat everybody, and and we'll, we'll definitely have to touch on the turnout for that event. But um, I mean, this was no walk through the park tournament for Earl to win. Um, beat Sean Putnam twice at the end, beat Darren Appleton Hill Hill, um, although I did read that Darren had an 8-6 lead and uh, Earl got a little bit of a roll, uh, at, which led to Earl winning that match, but uh, it sure seems like Earl's hitting him as good right now as he ever did. Well, I know one day at the U.S. Open, he came in after running seven miles, so He's doing what he can to stay young. Um, the uh, only thing that worries me about Earl, of course, is as he ages, those, those eyes are going to go away. It just happens to everybody. Um, but obviously with this win, uh, he's going to be feeling good. And when Earl's feeling good, he's dangerous at the table, man. Oof. You know, that's one thing about Earl. Um I think there are some players who are more difficult to beat when they're on the one-loss side. Johnny Archer, for example. Um, you know, we've talked in the past about how Johnny can sometimes come out of the gate a little slow, and then uh, a close match will get his attention, and he's unbeatable the rest of the way. I think, yeah. I think Earl's the exact opposite. I think he plays his best when he's on the winner's side. Yeah, because uh, he allows himself on the loser side to get down on himself for having lost a match. And, uh, when he does that, he's his own worst enemy. Um, I mean, we, we've seen the sulking Earl in the chair and that's no way to win a match, but, um, that's not what happened in Florida. And, uh, he, he really showed some stuff. Yeah. Looking over the brackets from Florida, he beat Rodney Morris nine, two, he beat Mika Emin in nine, six, beat Appleton Hill Hill, beat Putnam twice, 9-5, 11-6. I watched a little bit of that 9-2 match. Uh I've I've said numerous times on this show that I I always considered Rodney and Earl to have a very similar game. Um, When they're on their game, they make the game look easy. In the the games that I watched from that match, which it was streamed, and it was streamed very well, Rodney looked like he didn't even belong on the same table with Earl. I don't know if maybe Rodney was having a bad day or or what, but Earl was just you know, running balls. 
not running balls like he was on an old gold crown. I mean, it was played on diamond tables, and and none of the players are, uh, you know, none of the players can take those diamonds for granted. But uh, there was sure a big difference in uh, in the way those two players were were showing their abilities. Well, I watched a little bit of it, and uh, Earl was so confident that um, he wasn't taking even his usual short amount of time to aim. He was just getting down and firing. Um, and I think that confidence was, was the difference. Yeah, a confident Earl is a, is a tough Earl to beat. Um, now, again, there was a downside to the event. Um, $50,000 added, and the event drew a field of, I believe, 70 players. Yeah, out of a potential 128, the, the same amount of added money at this event as there was at the U.S. Open, which had 256 players. Right. And so I, I did some checking around to find out why people didn't go. And the overwhelming vote was that the hotels were too expensive. Um, they had a block of rooms that you could get a room for $120 a night. But the block wasn't enough to cover the majority of the players, and uh, the rest of them would have to pay well over $200 a night for a hotel room unless they wanted to stay four and a half miles away at a Holiday Inn, which was still over $100 a night. Um, I would hope that the um, Seminole Tribe would increase the size of that block for next year. Um, they need enough hotel rooms right there on site uh, to take care of the tournament, or they're just not going to get the turnout. Right. I mean, you go to you go to Turning Stone, and those rooms are well over three hundred dollars a night, but they've got enough rooms for every player uh, at a, a little over a hundred. Um, every player in the tournament gets a discounted room. It's not like you have to be among the first 20 or 30 or 40 players to sign up. It's everybody gets a discounted room. Well, and that's the way it should be. Um, I mean, we were at Turning Stone earlier this year, and I was at the Seminole event last year. Boy, I mean, I don't know anything about the the number of rooms at each venue, but I would sure think that the Seminole uh, venue has got more rooms than Turning Stone. Um, well, I've never been to the Hard Rock in Hollywood, so I can't, you know, you're, you're the one who's been to both, but, uh, I was just under the impression they were of similar size to one another. Yeah, they may be. That Seminole, uh, that Seminole Casino is amazing. Large? It's just, you know, I went to all but one WPBA event last year, and... Some of the casinos that had had the events were smaller casinos that were competing with uh, casinos in their area, and the Seminole Casino is just so over the top. With, uh, I mean, it's it's the Seminole Hard Rock Casino, so there's a very much a a music and a rock vibe where there's guitars and there's uh, stage costumes and everything on the walls, and uh, each of the or each of the the hotel rooms are decorated in a rock and roll motif. It's just, it's just a really nice venue. Mm-hmm. 
well, I hope to get down there next year. Absolutely. One thing I would like to bring up, because I was, I was doing some research on Darren Appleton since he won the U.S. Open, and I looked at the money list. And uh, Darren, of course, is number one. He's won $94,000 and change. But number two is right behind him on his heels <laughs> is Efren Reyes, that we haven't seen much this year. So I was wondering where he won his 93000 He derby. won 60% of that at Derby City. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Derby, Derby, and Derby. Yeah. So You know, getting towards the end of the year like we are, um, I've started – putting a little bit of thought towards the player of the year race. And I mean, if you just look at the money list, then I think you would have to consider Efren in that race, but I don't think you can. I mean, we have to consider much more than just the money list. And while I can't think of a clear cut leader in the men's race for player of the year, even though he's number two on the money list, I don't consider Efren even really in the conversation. Uh, no, not really. But yeah, it's it's if he if he had not shown up at Derby, he wouldn't even be under consideration at all. Um, but you're right; it's a it's a real tight race this year. It's nobody has galloped out to a big lead. There's no one that just jumps into your mind and says this guy has to be Player of the Year. So it's going to be an interesting discussion. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, you've got to consider Appleton. I think you have to consider Bustamante. Um, You have to consider Carl Boys. Personally, I want to wait until Moscone Cup is over because if one player, I mean, let's say Darren Appleton has what I would refer to as a Dennis Hatch Moscone Cup where he really Mm -hmm. uh, leads his team – then that would have uh, some bearing on that player of the year race. But at the moment, I couldn't tell you who was the favorite. Um, Right now, I'd just like to take uh, all the Filipino players and name them player of the year. Yeah, they've had had quite a year. But if one guy shines at Turning Stone and then shines again in the Moscone Cup, uh, that's going to help us out quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. And there is another event coming up. There's a big event coming up in Quebec, which, again, I don't have a whole lot of information on it. Uh, I want to say it's 20,000 added. Um, I believe most of the major players are going to be there. I had heard Mika's name. I had heard Appleton's name. Um, So that's another event that could have some bearing on, on Player of the Year, uh, as far as the men go. Now, on the women's side of things... We're in the same position we were in last year. It's either Guy Young or Jasmine. And although Jasmine has won the last two major events that she played in, I think she's behind Guy Young. Yeah. Uh, let me I, – I think so. Um, trying to – yeah, Guy Young's won 50% more money. But, yeah, um, but that was the Tournament of Champions. Um, yeah, that was, won, all, that was all in one event. Yeah, well, she won two events. She won the Women's U.S. Open and she won the Tournament of Champions, while Jasmine won the Atlanta WPBA event and the World Ten Ball Championship. But if you take the events where neither one of them won, 
Guy Young had higher finishes than Jasmine. Amway Cup, San Diego, World Nine Ball. Um, head to head, it just seems like Guy Young is, has got a better year than Jasmine. Unfortunately, it's one of those situations where Guy Young had a great beginning of the year. Jasmine is closing the year out really well. You know, it's going to go back to Miko was named player of the decade by a number of outlets based on the last two years of the decade. Well, we're talking about player of the year, not player of the last two or three months. Right. Yeah, we'll just have to put it all down in the spreadsheet and study it. <laughs> well, yeah, we can wait until after Moscone Cup for that. Now, you're going to be at Moscone Cup. I'm staying home for that one. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it because we're going to be back in York Hall. And um, that's that's one rowdy place. I've been to Moscone Cup in the States with rowdy Europeans. I can't even imagine what it's got to be like in London. It is crazy. Um, they, it's, it's, it's what you've seen in the States times three. They're, they're singing songs and stamping their feet and spilling beer on each other. <laughs> and just, they really have a good time. And this is in, uh, you know, this is in the East end of London. Um, this is not polite upper crust <laughs> London. This is, this is uh, football London, and uh, uh, they come to cheer on their team and to have a good time doing it, and boy, do they. Well, on the American side of things, I don't see any of the five players being affected all that much by rowdy European fans. Uh Johnny Archer, Rodney Morris, Corey Duell, Dennis Hatch, Shane Van Boning, they've all been there before. Um... Dennis would have the least experience, but I'm not really worried about it. I mean, I, I don't see, and, and I mean, let's be honest, we're both American. We're hoping that the U.S. team wins. I mean, I'd like to see a close event, but I'd also like to see the U.S. team win it. So when I say that I'm not really worried about Dennis playing in, in front of the European crowd, I'm saying that strictly from a uh, biased I'd like to see America win point of view. I'm only worried about Dennis if the crowd is successful in making him angry. <laughs> um, because that could take him out of his game. That could be dangerous to the crowd. That could land him in the pokey is where that could land him. <laughs> yeah. But uh, they they are, um, the crowds are, are very good uh, mind magicians. They, they know how to work on a player. And uh, they'll be working. Well, I mean, you go back to the event that took place here in the States where uh, Daryl Peach tossed a pacifier out into the into the playing area to, to taunt Earl. And I find it extremely hard to believe that Daryl Peach just happened to have a pacifier in his pants when he uh, got dressed that morning. And he might have, yeah. but I doubt it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, while while going over the U.S. team and saying that I'm not really worried about any of those players, uh -huh. from a biased point of view, I'm certainly worried about some of the European players. Okay. Uh, I, I'd like to see a whole lot less players with the last name of Eminen, Suquet, Appleton. Um, I'd like our chances a whole lot better. Yeah, uh, no doubt. 
uh, with Appleton strong showing this year, uh, he's going to be feeling good. Um, Suke is just Suke, you know. And Eminem gets charged up every time he's on the Moscone Cup team. Um, we are going to have Nick Vandenberg on their team, who we haven't seen in a, in a few years. And frankly, I haven't um, had the opportunity of watching uh, him play very much in the last couple of years. So I'll be interested in seeing how his game is, but he must be sharp or he wouldn't be on the team. Right. I mean, Matchroom is in a tough spot when it comes to, to picking Team Europe because they have to represent Europe. I mean, they, they can't just pick the top five players. And, and by no means am I, and I'm sure you either, trying to downplay any of the players on the team. I mean, Mika, Ralph, Carl Boys, Darren, Nick Vandenberg, they all deserve to be there. They're all great players. But I made the comment at the U.S. Open that if I could pick Team Europe, if I were European, and if I could pick Team Europe to build a team that I thought had the absolute best chance of winning, I would go with Darren, Carl Boys, Chris Melling, um, and, and two of the other players that fit in with that group. I mean, they're all extremely good friends, and I think the camaraderie there would be amazing, much, much more than you see with any other teams. And it's been proven that a team coming together and gelling at Moscone Cup is worth two or three matches. It absolutely is. But like you said, they've got to represent all of Europe and not just England. Right. Um, I mean, there were years in 2004, 2005, when if they'd mounted an all-German team, <laughs> uh, they have slaughtered anybody that came out there, but they they just can't do that because that doesn't represent Europe. Right, and I mean, let's face it they're they're putting on an event, they're producing an event for entertainment. This is not a tournament, although in the pool world we consider a tournament, and we consider the prize money, which. Yeah, the prize money is different between first and second, and certainly the players look at this as a major event, but as had to be explained to Earl a couple years ago, this is not a tournament, this is entertainment. You're there to entertain the, the fans, you're there to play some pool, and you're there to try to win, but you're there to entertain the fans, and this is a production that's built for television, and if you fill a team with five players from Germany, then they might not be as interested in watching it outside of Germany. That's right. It's a shame, but Moscone Cup is still a great event. And, I mean, these ten players have to feel extremely honored to be on their respective teams. And I know from having talked to players in the past, they consider winning Moscone Cup a huge goal. Uh, in their career it's one of the biggest and I mean just getting on the team is a huge I mean we hear players talk about it all year long I mean they always come up to us and say what have you got to do to get on the Moscone Cup team and you know for the Europeans it's a different answer but for the Americans it's get in the get up in the top of the rankings right well, I mean, I, players came up to me after the or before the U.S. Open was even done, 
uh, wanting to know when the points were going to be updated because they knew that that points list had a lot to do with uh, with the U.S. invites. It's not set in stone top three or four on the points list get invited, but it certainly helps you a lot. Oh, yeah. No doubt about it. you got to be at the top of your game to get on the Moscone Cup. And, and you know, let's be fair. The Even the players who make it onto Team Europe or Team USA and they're not the winning team, you know, they, they get a fair amount of quote-unquote prize money. So there is a financial incentive to making the Moscone Cup team, but I, I really think it's a whole lot more than just that financial incentive that drives those players. Yeah, it's, it's, it really is. It's just the honor of being selected to be on the team. That's the big thing. Well, and the television can't hurt either. I mean, with the opportunities for male players uh, to make it on TV being so small here in the U.S., knowing that you've got four days of uh, of television coverage there for an event you're at, uh, that has to help too. Yeah, it's certainly a, a big bargaining chip when it comes to acquiring sponsors. Well, I will let you enjoy that one, the the madness there. Now you've got you've got a couple different trips coming up before the end of the year, don't you? Well, of course, Moscone Cup and Turning Stone, and then I've got the uh, WPA meeting in Reno, and uh, so yeah, I'm traveling three weeks in a row. Um, is Reno also World Juniors? World Juniors and uh, the wheelchair, World Wheelchair, yeah. Well, that would actually It'd be a good time. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't envy you the trip over to London. Although I'd love to be there for the event, I can't stand flying over that much water. But I'd love to be in Reno for the World Juniors. That's a fun event, and I think, uh, I think it should be very interesting. We've got, uh, we've got Jesse Engel playing out there. Now, I've, I've been told by some people that Jesse just played way over his head at the U.S. Open. Uh, uh-huh. Jesse was the player that defeated both Earl and um, Mike Siegel at the event. Right. He sure didn't look to be playing over his head to me. No, he looked he looked like a solid player. The uh, the man can pocket balls, or the young man can pocket balls. I haven't seen any of the other names that are going to be out there, but uh, is is. Uh, is Co now too old to play in that event? I'm assuming he is. Yeah, Co is aged out. Um, I don't know who the Asian superstars will be this year, but, <laughs> but you can bet there will be some. Yeah. Maybe they could send uh, that Sha Sha Lu. I hear she plays a little. Yeah, she plays pretty good, and I'm sure she'll be there. Uh, and of course, we're going to have, well, Brandon Crockett will be there, I'm certain, and Landon Shuffett should be there. Yeah, and, uh, well, we had a story up on uh, on AZ Billiards. I think it's eight players, uh, male and female sides. Uh, I believe Liz Lovely may be playing. Now, I know Brittany will be playing for the Canadian team. I don't remember the names of the other two Canadian players that are playing. But it, it's certain to be a great event. Um, it's not being held alongside the Reno Open like it was, uh, was it two years ago, but... There will still be some great pool on display if you're out in that area. I might just come out for the fun of it. That'd be nice to go to a oh, pool dear. tournament and not work it. huh? Yeah, it's going to be at the Peppermill Casino, so come on out. Yeah, everybody should be there. Since you can't go to Moscone Cup, you may as well go to the World Juniors. That's right. 
Well, that's all I had on my plate. Have you got anything else? No, no. Um, Turning Stone coming right up. WPBA will be in Niagara in two weeks. And that uh, that tournament could have a lot to do with uh, Player of the Year right there. So there's... Uh, there's still a handful of events that are fairly important for player of the year, which, you know, we talked about all the incentives for uh, players making it on Moscone Cup. The incentives of meeting player of the year are basically the title player of the year. That's it. That's <laughs> it. You can tell people you're player of the year. Yeah, congratulations. Shake hands. Now go on to your next tournament. That's right. That's right. Try good luck for next year. All right. Well, Maybe next time we could find an interesting person to talk to when we do the show instead of doing it by ourselves yeah. like it did this time. Yeah, we'll give that a shot. But for now, thanks for listening to Run Out Radio. Of course, we're brought to you by Lucasi Hybrid Cues, the Tap League, and Simonis Billiard Cloth, and we thank those people for their support. I'm Jerry Forsyth for Mike Howerton. We'll be talking to you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>